Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. I'm Greg DeVries, pastor at the Well Scottsboro, and I'm grateful that you've decided to listen to this podcast. I hope that this word uplifts you and encourages you wherever you are. Stay with me for a few moments after the sermon. I would like to pray with you. I trust you'll be blessed by the word of God. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, Acts the third chapter, and I'm going to share a message starting in verse 11. I know verses 1 through 10 really well, but the Lord led me to these following verses of what took place after that extraordinary miracle that happened at the gate of the church, the gate beautiful at the front doors of the church when Peter and John were walking by and the, and the, the man begging, the lamb man begging for, uh, for uh, change, begging for money. He was crying out and he said, look at me. And he looked up expecting something. I don't know how weary you might be. I don't know how lame you might be in your spirit, how destructed you might be in your faith. I don't know what's going on, but I'm saying, look at me. What I would really say to you this morning is listen to me. The word of the Lord is perfect to convert the soul. The testimonies of the Lord, they're sure. They'll make wise the simple. God is working a marvelous work through his word, and his word will never stop working. Matter of fact, he, he exalted his word above his own name. The word of God is powerful. It's sharp. It's quick. Listen to me. The word of God can heal you. You get between your bone and your marrow. The word of God can refresh you. The word of God can be like a fresh, cool drink of water to you. The word of God can release and break an anointing over your life and, and soothe you and, and revigorate you. The word of God is good. Amen. I hope you have it in your hand right now. I want you to say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. And I can be what it says I can be. And I can do what it says I can do. It was written for me, for my correction, for my direction, and my soon coming resurrection. Oh, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Pick it up in verse 20. I want you to listen closely to the desired results of the Lord. I want you to hear what he wants you to hear. I want you to know what he wants you to know. I don't say this often, but I think I'm going to say it more often, is that today's message could be the difference between success and failure, life and death, heaven or hell. The word of God is what we're held responsible for. It's what is given to us and sown into us, and there's requirements that come with it. And the requirement is to hear it and do it. Amen? Amen? To receive it and apply it to your life. So I don't want you to miss what you need to hear, but I want you to hear about the promises being fulfilled in your life. He's been faithful so far to anything and everything in his word. There's only one thing remaining to happen, according to him, is his return. And he speaks very clearly of it. I've got news for you. Jesus is coming back. Now, that's a yes or no. That's an okay, not okay situation. If you're, if you're not excited about that, something's hindering, something's veiling you, something's instead of, instead of where you should be with the Lord. Amen? In verse 20, it says, and that he, speaking of Jesus, may, speaking of God, may send Jesus Christ. That he, so everything preceding leads up to the desire for God to send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before. 
whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So throughout scriptures, and even preachers today have been preaching this for generations upon generations for thousands of years. But the ultimate thing is, as we sang about it, there's a new creation that is being made. It's not going to be this old crusty world. It's not going to be the hardships and the difficulties. There is a joy set before us, but we must go through the cross of Jesus Christ. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. Moses is speaking about Jesus. Jesus, they knew him as a prophet. They recognized him as a prophet. Moses said, there's one coming out of you, out of the Jewish people who will be like me. And you need to listen to him. When the children of Israel listened to Moses and they obeyed Moses and they did what Moses instructed by what God had instructed them to do, things went well for them. Went well for all of them, not just some of them. I look over the church today and not just this church, but the church at large, and it's not going well for everybody. But there's only a few small remnant of people who are listening to what he is saying and doing what he says to do. That's when things will go well for you. That's when things will go well. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among all the people. I think this is important. This is just a, a, a prelude to get into what I really want to preach, but I think it's important for us to hear that. To realize, go back to that verse, if you would, please, in, in the booth. That everyone who does not hear, and it shall be to every soul who will not hear that the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Now, he already clarified hearing the prophet's one thing, but doing it is the fulfillment of that thing. And that prophet is Jesus. And there's so many people who believe in Jesus, but don't hear Jesus. He said, my sheep shall know my voice. That ought to be a walk away desire of yours when you leave the church this morning. I want to know the voice of Jesus. I want to hear his voice. I need to know the voice of Jesus. He said, those who don't hear him, those, they have no chance to obey him. He must be heard to be obeyed. To be obeyed. And it's so important for us to give ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Don't shrug it off. If you're hearing the same message the fifth time, it's because you didn't really hear it the first and fourth time. Or there's something left to be said or therefore to be heard that you have not yet walked in. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, the Jews, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of your iniquities. Notice here it did not say sent to bless you with the desires that you have, like a house, a car, a raise, a bonus, those things all come, but the ultimate blessing that Jesus represents for you and I is to turn us away from all of our iniquities. Not just the bad ones that weren't accepted, not just the ones that were illegal. One of our biggest challenges we have in the culture we live in 
is that we have a tendency to measure ourselves to the wickedness of the world and not to the righteousness or holiness of God. And so because I'm not drinking anymore and I don't cuss as much as I used to and I don't lie like I needed to, but I'm still doing just a little bit of it, we think that we're holy because we're just not like them. But the reality is, what does he say about our lives? How do we line up with him? He said that his blessing is he would turn you away. Not his blessing is he would forgive all of your sins. We live with a mindset that if I sin, he's going to forgive me because he has to because he's God. But the reality is he did not say that I'll take all of your sins away in this statement. He said, I will turn you. I will turn you away from all of your iniquities. I'll turn you away to where you don't want to do them anymore. Well, you you know it's not good to do them anymore. I will change you by you turning to me. I will help you get away from all the things that you're doing, even that which is lesser than what the world doing, seeming greater than, I will bring you into righteousness with me. Blessing. So what is an iniquity? A gross injustice, wickedness, a wicked act, or thing, sin, lawlessness, wrongdoing. You know, it's the last one that I'm most concerned with because I don't know that many of us in here are doing some gross injustice like sex trafficking. You would say, that's gross. I'm not doing that. And I'm not looking at hardcore pornography, but it's still wrong to lust after a woman because you commit adultery in your heart. But this has almost become acceptable because that's your weakness. But in our weakness, he's made strong. Someone that lacks moral or spiritual principles. If you're still backbiting, and if you're still using the term, I need you to be praying for this person so you can say something about that person, you, you're, you're morally off, row, off, off the, the, the line that you need to be on, but your spiritual principles are not in line. You're still backbiting. You're still gossiping. Amen? Notice, he's speaking to the men of Israel. He's speaking to the people who know God, know of God, but don't know God by not knowing Jesus. So literally, he's speaking to the church people. He's speaking to people that should know better, but they're not doing their best. And they don't realize, not only that they don't know their father, but I don't think they realize that they are now the fathers. Because the scripture talks about the sins of that generation and of their fathers, but these guys are now the men of Israel. They're now the fathers. Listen to me, fathers. We are now responsible We are the generation that leads, that sets the mark, that sets the standard. We should know better. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. So the blessing is he wants to turn you from all of your iniquities, from any wrongdoing. Verse 11. Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Greatly amazed. So there's this huge colonnade. There's this huge porch there in front of the, uh, the temple that Solomon has. And they're all running because that's where Peter and the lame man was at. 
and John there. And notice here that the lame man, he, he's standing there with him, and it literally says that he's, he's holding on to them. He's holding on to them. Now, here's a guy who's just been leaping and, and shouting and praising God and, and running through the sanctuary. Why would he be holding on to these guys? Not because the, the, the miracle wasn't full and complete, because he was just running and leaping and shouting. I mean, he was doing everything and anything. I think he was holding on because he didn't want to let go to what happened to him. He saw the source, and he wanted to hold on to that source. There's a good possibility he was tired, too. Could you imagine if you got so excited about Jesus, so excited about God, uh, that you had to lean on the person next to you during service? Not because you lost an hour of sleep last night. Some of you didn't lose an hour. You just stayed in bed an hour longer. But the reality is because you're worshiping, you had to lean into that person and hold on to them. He had been leaping. He's been doing something he's never done before. Have you ever worshiped God to where you're exhausted? And you just didn't have another thing to give? That's where he was. He was tired. He didn't want to let go of it. I want you to notice here that there is an amazing miracle that took place in front of everybody. Amazing miracle that took place. Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, when he saw what was happening, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he just joined himself with them. He just connected because remember, he was a Jew who got saved. But he's still of Jewish descent. He's connected. He said, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied the presence and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. This is very important in the scripture right here. Very important in the passage that we're looking at for what we need to see here today. First of all, the people are amazed because they're responding to a miracle. Friends, we need miracles. Miracles will draw people. We need to have seen miracles where people evidently see a transformation in your life, a deliverance in your life, a healing in your life. We need to see miracles. Peter recognizes a great opportunity to respond to their response. When people are responding, they're moving, they're intrigued, they're, they're interested, they're, they're looking into the situation. So he responds to them. And notice how he responded in humility. And listen to me, uh, those who pursue and desire to be used by God to lay hands on the sick, to prophesy, to cast out the devil, whatever it may be, and listen closely to what the early church would say. It wasn't us. It wasn't us. Uh, that, that wasn't us. Why are, you so, why are you looking at us? Don't look at us. Keep looking at the miracle because that's what you need. You need the miracle more than you need me. Uh, they were very humble. There is humility in their life. And, and there, may be, uh, uh, there may be on the outside looks like humility, but on the inside, if you're still desiring it, that's just false humility. False humility. The cool thing about a humility, wherever it is, it produces more. More what? More grace. It, it gives the aspect where God's saying, I don't have to worry about somebody stealing my glory. I can do more and more and more of this. But when the attention starts coming on people and they start doing the interviews and they start doing all the whatever it may be throughout history, the attention gets on them, the Lord has to back up. Lord, Lord said, I can't, I can't do that because I can't share my glory with somebody else. Amen? Yeah. Not only was there humility when he said, not us, 
He made a point of identity. He said it was God that did it. You see, they had learned this from Jesus, studying the life of Jesus. Their, their goal wasn't to be famous. Their goal wasn't to be more anointed. The goal was to be like Jesus. They now become a doorway to get people to Jesus, to Jesus' doorway to get people to God. And they're identifying that God did this. Emmanuel, God is with us. Even Jesus said, God did these things. I didn't do these things. I just did the work of him who sent me. So now Peter is not only taking eyes off of the preacher, he's putting eyes on the giver of miracles. He's putting people's eyes on God, the end result, the end termination of where life goes to. Not only did he make a point of identity, it was God, their father. It was their father as somebody that they know and he's connecting with them. Then he made a point of acknowledgement. He acknowledged Jesus. Listen to me, friends. We need to acknowledge Jesus in our ministry to others. We need to believe God for miracles and we need not to take the credit for it. Amen? He referenced a critical moment in each of their lives. He said, this Jesus that I'm talking about, he said, the one whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, whom you delivered up, whom you, in essence, denied. Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever chosen something or someone over Christ for some period of time. I know you may stand here today and go, I didn't deny him. I'm in church. I'm in church. But you remember when you had that opportunity and you chose this instead of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What he's trying to point out, it's just very crucial to your wholeness and to your well-being and to your growth and to your knowledge of Jesus Christ is that you need to take responsibility for where you denied him, where you delivered him up. Or maybe you threw him under the bus and you blamed things on Jesus. I saw a little snippet the other day of this guy dressed like a woman who's a drag queen or something of that sort and on broad daylight television being interviewed. I said, I'm tired of people telling me that I need to give my life to this Jesus who lives me. The only thing I really like about Jesus is that I do love him. What I like about him is somebody who could get nailed three times and keep going. If you know anything of the party world or the other world, getting nailed is a term that is associated with getting drunk or getting high and just getting blitzed in your life. You know what grieved me the most was the three reporters who chuckled and even put their head down one and kind of laugh like, I'm not supposed to be. You know what happened? That person, because you're not, you're not open enough to let me get into your business, so I have to use somebody else to be the example, but that person denied Jesus. They denied Jesus in that moment. All three of them, one that each had a nail for them, denied Jesus. Nobody stood up for Jesus. Now, don't, don't think that you've never denied Jesus. It might not have been that gross, it might not have been that wicked. It might not have been that animated, but maybe it was at work. When somebody told that joke, a little off color, but you know Jesus would not approve of it. But because you asked Jesus in your heart, you're okay. That's, that's your relationship with Jesus. I'm here to tell you, according to God, it's not okay. 
According to God, there's a concern there. There's a trouble there. Peter's preaching a message. Peter, Peter ties in the, uh, the, the responsibility of denial of Jesus Christ and delivering him up. Peter has a pretty good position to preach from here because he denied Jesus three times. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Oh, he was all talk. He was all puffed up. He thought he had it all together. But the reality is, is when he got on that cross, he denied him three times, three times. So what Peter has to say, it seems to be he has some knowledge of it, has some experience. I don't know about you, but I like talking to people who have had experience, not just people who know something about it. They've never done it, but they've got a view and they've got an opinion. But Peter has an experience here. He's had an encounter in this area. Have you ever chose someone or something above him or instead of him? You know, it could be like this. You feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Go, go, to the, go to the night of worship or go into prayer or do something. But you choose that day that you need a little bit more rest because Monday's going to be a big day. So you choose to watch a murder show without any cussing in it. But you couldn't go to the Bible and die to yourself. Here's the point. I know it's getting a little nitty-gritty and to the bare minimums, right? But the reality is you chose something over him. Those little things, if we're not faithful in the little things, what on earth makes us think we're faithful in the big things? He said it's literally impossible. Literally impossible. We sing about a faithful one because that faithful one wants us to be faithful. Amen? In John chapter 1, verse 11, it said that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. It's amazing how much you can preach in a church and how many people in the church don't receive it. I've been at this for 35 years, I believe now. 35 years. It's amazing how you can preach in a church, teach in a church, pray in a church, and find so many people in the church who will not receive it. Said he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was a Jew, came to the Jew, and to the Jews first, but they rejected him. They pushed him away. I don't want that kind of preaching. I look over, I look over uh, the church at large, and predominantly, with their denominational differences, it's based upon what they exclude. A certain part of the gospel that they don't accept, that they don't believe in. Majority of the time, probably 75 to 80% of the time, it's all based around the Holy Spirit, their perspective on the Holy Spirit. You ever heard of Max Lucado? Pastor at a Church of Christ for years, 20 years in San Antonio, Texas. This is like five months ago. Started to get hungry for this person called Holy Spirit. And he started to dig into it and look into it because nobody had ever told him. Wow. And all of a sudden he found out he's real. There's more to him than I realized. He said, I truly believe that when I got saved, I received the spirit, but I don't know that I got all that I needed. He said, now my desire is that the church would experience just one raindrop of the Holy Spirit because I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit and I speak in tongues. 
68 years old. Could there possibly be the reason we reject it because we don't know anything about it and we're afraid of it? Could it possibly be that, that we're not hungry enough because we're finding other things in this world to satisfy us, to make us content? Could it possibly be because really we do choose immorality, uh, unrighteousness, wickedness instead of Jesus? Could it be that we have a tendency to take advantage of the one that we know loves us no matter what? That's one of the biggest challenges in your life is that he loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't want you to stay that way. He loves me just like I am. I can't say because I'm no longer a drug addict from 30 some years ago uh, that I'm okay. There's still some things that I get dependent upon that he wants me to be free from. He's still working in you, in me, and on us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 16. But to what shall I liken this generation? The very words of Jesus. But what shall I liken to this, like in this generation, it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We mourned for you, but you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking. He was fasting. And they say, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking. And they said, look, he's a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. What is he saying? They denied him. Anything that was presented to him, they found another reason for it. They found some type of excuse that they did not have to receive it. They rejected and denied him. So I asked the question, have you ever denied Christ? Verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You chose something instead of him. And you killed the prince of life. So is there the possibility that your denial and, and the bad choices that we make could kill life? And then we're mad at Jesus because you're not blessing me like they said in the church that you would bless me. I don't have joy like they said I would have joy. I'm not getting, things are not working out for my good. I'm so frustrated because they quote Romans 8, 28, but it's not working. And I do love him. The problem is not that we don't love him. It's that we love other things more than That's him. Right. The problem is not that we don't love him at times. It's that we love ourselves more than we love him. We don't trust that he knows what is best for our life. Uh, we don't want to choose the path, sometimes of suffering, sometimes of pain to get to the place of learning and understanding and obedience that we need in our life. But you denied him, and, and you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. In other words, he's saying to me, he said, it was you that put Christ on the cross. It was you. And it is us who continually put him back on the cross. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, re-crucifying Christ. Sometimes we take him back and say, well, he's not really on the cross, but he's feeling the pain. He feels the rejection. So often we have the form of godliness, but yet we deny the power thereof. Not only the power of the cross, but the power of his blood and the power of his name and the power of his resurrection and the power of his return. 
You see, if we really believed in return to Jesus and we believe in the word of God, it would be a very powerful thing to us because it would give us the, the, the sense of yes, Lord, no to ungodliness and worldly lust. I don't think this is the way that Peter said it, but perhaps we could understand it this way. He said, lucky for you, he raised him from the dead. Now, you need to get this. He said, you killed him. You crucified him. You killed the prince of life. Thank goodness God raised him from the dead. So what is he saying? Boys, I'm getting ready to tell you something. You've got a chance. I'm getting ready to tell you something. I don't care how bad you did and what you did. God has, has, has overcome that. God has brought a victory. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you a chance to be free and to have life again. To be forgiven, to be restored, to be revigorated and renovated in your life. He said, it's good for you. He says in verse 16, remember this is a sermon that a man who had denied Jesus three times is preaching to a people who have denied Christ, crucified him and killed him, delivered him up for somebody else. You don't hear much about Barabbas anymore, right? But the spirit of him. And his name, through his name, in his name, excuse me, through faith in his name has made this man strong. We're going back to the guy who's leaning on them. The guy who's been healed, the guy whose ankles were not operable from his mother's womb, and, and he's been restored, he's been healed, he's been made whole, he can stand on his own. And in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. You guys know this guy. It's one thing to hear a testimony about what happens in, in Texas or what happens in Oklahoma or what happens in, in another country somewhere. But when you see it in your own environment, friends, we need to be praying for miracles and not just miracles in the church, miracles in the marketplace, healings in people's bodies. whom you see and know, yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Uh, what is Peter trying to say here? He's saying, look, if you will put faith in the name of the one who healed him, that same strength can come to you, and that faith comes through him that he's already put in you. If you use that, you can have perfect soundness. He's saying your faith, like the other people you read about in the Bible, can make you whole. Using your faith in the one who's faithful and the one who can do all things and there's nothing impossible with him, he said that will make you stronger. Right. And the more testimony you have, the more experience you have, the more encounters you have with God, the less you're going to say yes to that stuff and the less you're going to say no to him. Right. Right. It builds you, it strengthens you, encourages you, and you start to realize this stuff works. Yeah. And it works for my good. And it doesn't just make me stronger. It brings me into perfect soundness. Everything is reverberating the way it should. Everything is in unison. Everything is in harmony. Everything is working. There's clarity. There's no more confusion. There's maturity in the decisions that I make. One touch from heaven, one using their faith in God. Verse 17, yet now, brethren... This is so precious of Peter. I love what he says here. I love how he takes it. And he says, yeah, now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. 
I know what you did. You did it because you didn't know. But I also know that if you would have known, you would have done better. In other words, you're saying, I believe in you. I believe in mankind. I believe that, that you didn't really, if you would have known this, you wouldn't have done it. There's another scripture that said, if they would have known that they were killing the Christ, they wouldn't have done it. They would not have done it. Well, now he's died. He's raised from the dead. But it's our responsibility to assure that he doesn't get re-crucified. It's our responsibility to teach people truth so they don't think they can just keep on sinning and be okay. Sin corrupts. Sin has a wage. It's called death. And when you're sinning, you're, you're, you're shutting down the prince of life. When you're giving into temptation, you're denying him. And you're saying, I'll take the sinner instead of the one who died from my sin. You follow what I'm saying? It's important that we, that we align our life as much as possible to the return of Christ. All this leads to his return. He's coming back for a bride without spot and without blemish. Nobody's mad at anybody. I know that the things that we've done, we've done out of ignorance. I know that if we would have known better, we wouldn't have done it. So we need to know better. We need to be fully warned and, and we need to be communicated to, taught and trained and equipped and discipled so that we don't keep doing what we shouldn't be doing. Knowing better so that next time you would not deny Jesus nor choose someone or something above him. Verse 18. But those which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets that the Christ would suffer has thus fulfilled. So what he's saying now is that their scriptures and prophecies are being fulfilled. It's coming to pass. Jesus has suffered. He's paid the price. There's no other price that needs to be paid. He died once and for all. He died unto sin. There's, there's no more power of sin in or on his life anymore. He said all things foretold are all things that need to be known. So what he's really saying there is you go back and search the scriptures again. Go back now that you have this knowledge, now that you have a witness, read it and see if it's not true. You see, some people were told things ever since they were a child. And because they were told that, that's what they still believe. But they haven't read it for themselves. They haven't read it with new lenses. They haven't read it through the Prince of Life. They haven't read it through the truth. They haven't read it through conviction. It's just what they were taught their whole life. And some people hold on to that religion all of their life and never lay hold of the miraculous that God has for them. The healing, the restoration. We just have a tendency to go with what our forefathers had told us. But he just told us a lot of that was done out of ignorance. Ignorance might seem to be a harsh way of saying it, but it's just not knowing, unlearned, untaught, untrained there. So I would encourage you to ask God to help you to read the Bible. And when you read it, to read it with new lenses. To see what he's saying to you. To let it become alive to you. To let the word of God, oh, the way I always do it, is let it speak to you. I really thought I was on to something. I said, baby, I think I've got something. This might be the, the deal maker for us. It might be the change of this. We might be able to retire on this one. She said, what is it, hon? I said, a puppet that looks like a Bible, and it speaks. She said, we already have one. So I'm going to revive it. 
Does your Bible talk to you? It should. He is the word. It's inerrant. It's infallible. Come on, somebody. Do you believe it? It's inerrant and infallible. This is the word of God. It's the holy scriptures of God. Inspired, breathed by the Holy Spirit. You get resuscitated through it. You get revived through it. You get renewed through it. Let the word of God speak to you. Amen. He goes on in verse 19, and he says, Repent, therefore, and be converted. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Uh, So he's, he's unveiling, he's unpacking this deal, and now he says, here's your response. This is what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to change the way you think. You you need to change the way you position and focus yourself. You need to turn from whatever you've been doing and turn to God. Not just turn from something. We have a tendency to turn from something, but sometimes we don't turn all the way to God. He said you need to repent, be converted. To repent means to turn from one's sin, to change the way one thinks or behaves, to turn to God from sin, a response of God, a response to godly sorrow, loving God and others in a new way. If you're struggling loving God and you're struggling loving others, the reason you're struggling loving others is because you're struggling loving God. If you'll love God and put him first, it won't be that hard to love others. All others, even your enemies. But if you're struggling loving God, there's a sin issue. Something's blocking it. I know we don't like to be called sinners. I know that we don't like somebody else to call us that. It seems like it's like you're just kind of tattling or pointing at somebody's fingers. But friends, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin keeps us at distance from what he has for us. When you fall, when you sin, you fall short of the glory. And he wants to fill his house and fill his temples with glory. Sin hinders that. It disrupts that. It gets in the way of that. It gets in the way of your marriage. Uh, come on, let's just get real for a second. You know, you got your honey and honey's got you. Uh, you, you got your strong man, you got your flourishing wife. But then you find out that they held something from you and they hid something from you. Or they spoke to you in a disgruntled way in a argument. Does it not hinder your relationship? Oh, you're still married. You're still married. But it hinders your relationship. Now, if you were to take time and track that, if it never gets corrected and it becomes a lifestyle and a habit, I got news for you. You're going to get a D in marriage. (laughs) You're going to get a D in marriage. Eventually, there'll be a divorce. If you don't correct. You say, well, we never got divorced. (laughs) You may be living in the same house, but you're not living as one. Uh, You're living in disagreement. You're butting heads with one another. But if you correct those things, you learn to love one another more. You get closer to you learn to trust one another. It's a path. Same thing in a relationship with God. If we don't correct those things, we're going to think, well, God's all right, but then maybe he doesn't even notice it. It doesn't offend God. It doesn't bother God. Come on, somebody. Get in your bathroom with me for just a second. Get in the closet for just a second. Come on. It doesn't bother them. That they know that's just me. That's the problem. It's me. I'm not being who she's supposed to have. And, and, and I've got to change in that area. Amen? <laughs> to be converted. 
You know, we have this mindset right there at Repent. We realize we have some responsibility with this, and God will help you. But when being converted, we have a mindset that like, oh, yeah, that's where God's got to switch the switch. No, this is still what you do. He didn't say, and, and repent, and God will convert you. He said, repent and be converted. You have responsibility. And I think we've, we sometimes stop here and think, now it's all up to God. Let me talk to you about being converted. It means to fully turn. The word convert in the Greek means to fully turn. A person turning and doing so of their own volition that they are doing it. If God were to do it for you, it it, it corrupts your volition and it's no longer you doing it. It's not your love for God. It's not you following and obeying God, making a full turn. If God turns and our agency is compromised, our learning is destroyed and our growth is blighted. It's part of the process turning to him. I repent. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not doing that anymore. Oh, I wish that would leave me alone. I'm going to turn from it. You can't see what's behind you, right? Unless you put your memory bank up here and you keep looking in the rearview mirror. Turn from it. Turn from it. Turn. Keep turning. Keep turning. Keep turning to where you forget it was even a part of your life. You don't remember it. It's not a part of who you are. The Greek word for convert is epistrepho, built on the Greek word trophy. You know what a trophy is, right? But on the Greek word trophy, and the Greek word for trophy uh, means turning point. It's very interesting. It'll get interesting here. It's a turning point. In ancient times, in biblical wars, uh, there would be two opposing armies, and they would come and clash with one and start fighting. And then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, one would start winning and, and, and ruling over the other one. And what would happen in that moment, and you read the Bible, what happened in that moment is, is the, the ones who were being turned back would literally drop all of their armor, drop all of their weapons, and run. And They didn't run with all that mail on them and all that weight on them. They'd drop it, they'd leave it, and they'd run. And so what happened at that moment is the one who was the opposing that was winning picked up all of that uh, 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 armor and all that uh, weaponry there, and that was their trophy. That was their trophy. They're like, we won. So we can give Jesus a trophy when we turn from him and leave all of our sin, all of our pride, all the junk in our world there, and all of a sudden he shows the world what he can do in somebody's life, and we give him the chance to be the champion of our lives. We give him the champion uh, award to him because you conquered those areas in my life that I just turned from. I dropped them and turned, and I ran, and I ran into the name of Jesus, which is a safe place for righteous people. I became a Jesus Christian, not just a church-going Christian. We shouldn't be embarrassed and saying, listen to me. If, if, if you were to be put in a situation today, is there a crowd of people, 10 people, and we pick that crowd out and put you in that crowd, could you talk about Jesus? Is he that real to you? Or is he just a figment of the imagination? Or is he just the God of your father's? The God of the church that you went to, could you stand for yourself? The trophies we discard, our sins, our pride, our careless concerns, anything that hinders us from turning completely to Jesus, let's let our sins become his trophies. It goes on, it says sin blotted out. You know, a paper that they used back in biblical times, this one written, did not have a, an acidic nature to it. It didn't stick and adhere to and burn into the page. It would just sit on top of it. And you can literally take a damp cloth and just wipe the word off as if it was never there. No white out, 
You know, no, no, no erasure whatsoever. You know, even when you erase, have you ever noticed when you erase them, the lead got into the paper and you're like, it's still there. Oh my goodness, they're gonna, and then you scribble it for enough time to make sure they can't read the word through it, right? We're hiding things. There's nothing to hide. There's no mark on you anymore. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I've been set free. I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheater. I've been set free. There's no mark on it. When the blood of Jesus is applied, it blots it out. It's gone. It's removed. Some people still hold on to that identity because they get good results out of it. Or they think that they think that they've got control of it. If you're still part of it, it doesn't have, you don't have control of it. It's got control of you. If you're still identified with it, he blots it out. He removes the stains and the spots. In essence, guilt and shame. You know, if I were to write something on a piece of paper, and even though I erased it, but you could still see the word, there would still be evidence. I see the evidence of his goodness all around me. I'm not that person anymore. That's not my title. That's not uh, my identification. That's not who I am. That's not me. But so often when we leave that name out, people still call us by that name. Because we still go by that name. But you can be free from that anger, that resentment, that fear. You can be free from that judgmental. You can be free from whatever it is. He blots it. It's removed. There's no associated, no evidence that you ever were that because he blotted it out. Jonah, if you join me, please. Here's where the title of the sermon came in. So that. So that, so you're telling me what you're getting ready to tell me couldn't be unless I get what you just told me. That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, you need to get this. Everything that I said precedes everything I'm getting ready to say. But everything that I get ready to say is going to succeed in your life. This is where things change. This is where things get good. So that, so that times, not, not, not numbers, not addition, so that times, plural, more than multiplication of times, so that times of refreshing can come to you. Times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. You see sin and the denial of Christ and the delivering up and re-crucifying Christ does not give you an an access to heaven and to the presence of God. Sin cannot happen and does not happen in the presence of God. And so the reason some people get into the presence is because they have truly repented and converted. They have truly made a decision to turn away from and to turn into God. And in that time, as weary as you are, as tired as you are, as broken as you became, as lost as you might have been, as mind-boggled as you find yourself, in that moment, there comes times of refreshing. He rejuvenates you. He renovates you. He revives you. He restores you. He replenishes you. Think about it this way. Let me ask a question. How many of you in here can easily get dehydrated? That cool drink of water that refreshes you. How many of y'all ever get dry skin? You know that feeling when you put that lotion on and you're like, 
You start putting it everywhere, right? Those old ashy knees, you're wearing them things out, and you just got like a salve of, of, of lotion on there. How many times are you going to pump that thing? As many as I need. Because I need to be refreshed. How many glasses of water are you going to drink? As many as it takes to get me hydrated again. Because he wants to refresh me. He wants to refresh me. He wants to renew me. He wants to revive me. I believe the activation of a true revival comes through true repentance and conversion to Christ. You make that conversion, you change the way and what you plug into. You change the way of what you connect to. You change the way of what you do. You disconnect from what you were connected to, and you connect with the same desire, with the same passion, but with better outcome, with better results. He wants to restore, strengthen, and bring you into animation. This is what the word refreshing means, revive you. He wants to freshen up, renovate you. Have you ever had a renovation? It's like, this thing is out of date. Some of y'all's theology is out of date. Some of y'all's perspective of revival is out of date. Some of y'all's perspective of revival is a a three-day service with a special guest that's going to come in and preach some hellfire and brimstone. But it's the moving and the working of the Spirit of God amongst us. Come tonight, you'll see what revival feels like. And when you host the presence and he comes in, he refreshes and he renews. There's genuine repentance, and people don't even have to tell you what to repent of. You're just turning your heart back to God. He wants to renovate you. Some of y'all, the way that you go to church needs a little updating. A little updating. Well, I know what to do on the first song. I wait for them all get warmed up, wait for the sound man, get it all figured out. Second song, I'll. Third song, fourth song, something like that. This is where I sit, this is how I go to church. This is how I pray. Maybe your prayer life needs a renovation. Maybe you need to modernize it a little bit. It's still a house. You just need to bring it up, bring it new. He wants to renovate your life. He wants to give you creative ideas and uh, to inspire you to seek him in certain ways. You can stand to your feet with me if you'd like. He wants to restore or maintain by the renewing supply. He wants to replenish you. Do you hear that? He wants to replenish you. Maybe your prayer life is tanked. Maybe your worship life is is nil. And maybe there's something inside of you. Maybe your desire to evangelize, to share the love of Jesus. You're not as excited as you used to be. He wants to replenish you. That's what he wants to do for you. Maybe your, 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 your trust of the goodwill towards man has been violated and, and, and you're frustrated and you're angry and somebody uh, lied to you or somebody cheated you or somebody got in your way in traffic or somebody bought the last dozen of eggs and you didn't get to have eggs. He wants to renew you. He wants to replenish you to where you can love again. You're not angry at people. You're not disappointed with people. Maybe you used to cry over situations that you haven't cried over in a long time. Maybe you had a hope for something that you didn't see come to pass. He wants to put that hope back in you. Verse 20, where we started. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before. He wants to give you a dose of Jesus this morning. He wants to get you prepared 
So when Jesus comes back, because he's coming back for those who are, are like him, not those who like him, those who are like him. <laughs> you remember where it said that he blotted out sin. L listen, you and I have a choice. According to Revelations chapter 3, verse 5, you can either get your sins blotted out or get your name blotted out. That's what the Bible says. <clears throat> Even if it's that big, it needs to be blotted. How many of y'all remember the biggest sin you ever did? It didn't start like that. It started down here in some seedlings. Thank you. Let's deal with things now before it's too late to deal with them. Amen. So that's my heart for you this morning. If you have something you need to turn from, something maybe you need to keep turning to get to that converted moment, if you have need and desire of times of refreshing, that's what he offers you this morning. That's what he's presenting to you this morning. I'd like for you to encourage you to take a few minutes to come to the altar. And do business with the Lord. Turn from anything you might need to turn from. Lay down anything you need to lay down. Stop trying to fight it in your own strength. Find a point of conversion. It's the turning point. Is there anything in your life, anything in your life Let me say this to you cautiously and respectfully. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord. If you're not seeing the Lord, there's probably an issue in there somewhere that needs to be dealt with. Do people see Jesus in your life? Just don't miss anything. Hey, if, if this is it, Praise God, we're growing. But you need refreshing. You need times in His presence. He can revive you, renew you. I encourage you to present yourself to the Lord. Turn to Him. I trust that you are encouraged and inspired by the Word of God today. Once again, I want to say thank you for joining us on this podcast. It's very important that after you receive the Word of God to make sure it gets sealed in your heart. I'd like to do that with you. I'd like to pray with you that we could tuck it away in our hearts and that we let the Word of God have free course, move swiftly in us, and it would glorify God. You know, the Word of God is a seed. You can expect results out of it. You can expect fruit out of it. You can expect something to be produced. Again, I'm so thankful that you joined us. Now allow me just a moment to pray with you. Father God, we come to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, the Word of God himself. And I thank you for the word that has been heard. I thank you for the word that has been received. And Lord, now I ask that it gets covered up and it gets protected and locked and lodged in our hearts, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would water it. I pray that you would nurture it, that you would bring the light and revelation that it needs. And I pray that it produce good fruit in each and every heart that has received it today. I ask this in Jesus' name. I do this at the end of every service at the church. I want to do it with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord find great delight in you. And may you find great joy in him. May the Lord provide for you. May the Lord protect you. And may the Lord give you peace, peace. God bless you. Thanks for joining us.